by default, it looks very, very negative. And so people are not necessarily knowledgeable and educated on how they can help and assist with foster care. And so initially they are scared. They think that they're, that they're bad children. They think that they cannot help these children. When in reality, all of these children and their families just need additional support. Our goal is always to work directly with their birth families and reunite them. But we all have to also be mindful that we've all had guidance and support somewhere along the way. And we want to be able to give those back to our children and families as well. With over 400,000 children in the foster care system at any given time and a new child placed into care every two minutes, the need for support services, essential items, and foster parents is high. Foster care has an uphill battle with startling statistics to overcome and the need of support of our community and across the country. Today, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and we're excited to have Lakeisha Gomez from Youth Villages. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You are the Youth Villages Regional Manager. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I'm the Regional Manager for Memphis Foster Care and West Tennessee Adoptions. How long have you had this position? So I have been in this position, um, it will be five years this summer, and I have been with the organization 12 years this May. And so what attracted you to this great organization, Youth Villages, which is really one of the best kept secrets. I mean, one of the largest nonprofits, not only in the city of Memphis and in Tennessee, but across the United States. Yes. Youth Villages is indeed great. I initially learned about Youth Villages when I first moved back to Memphis. I mean, I was in my graduate school program. I always wanted to be involved in working with children, um, foster care specifically. That's always been a dream of mine. And so when the opportunity came with internships ending um, and there was an employment opportunity, I took advantage of it. And I've been here ever since. Keisha, the statistics are staggering, as you well know. Uh, slightly less than 8,000 children in foster care in Tennessee. Less than 4,000 foster families willing to provide homes for foster children. Less than 50% of foster children in Tennessee are placed with a relative and either participate in a group setting or stay with a foster parent. Correct. Um, and the unfortunate thing about that is... As we all know, foster care sometimes has has a negative stigma, and I think that is just default of media coverage or just default. When I say media coverage, just speaking of how sometimes our children are in the communities and they may commit nonviolent crimes, but they don't have the support. And so just by default, it looks very, very negative. And so people are not necessarily knowledgeable and educated on how they can help and assist with foster care. And so initially they are scared. They think that that they're bad children. They think that they cannot help these children when in reality all of these children and their families just need additional support. Our goal is always to work directly with their birth families and reunite them but we all have to to also be mindful that we've all had guidance and support somewhere along the way and we want to be able to give those back to our children and families as well. Well I love that and I love what you villages has been doing and has been doing for a long time. The history and track record is incredible because the model has worked so well on a small scale. I think that's why it's really blossomed in this wonderful organization that's caring for children. You know, like I mentioned, not just here in Memphis and across Tennessee, but across the country. Correct. And what a lot of people um, also don't realize is that while our main goal is to be able to reunite these families, while we're working with the children and families when they're in foster care, we also make sure to put in supportive services when they are able to go home and we put those services in through our in-home services program. Lakeisha, some of the other national statistics are just heartbreaking when you look at one in five children experience homelessness within one year of aging out of foster care. Ages 17 and 18, one-third of young women in foster care are pregnant or are parenting. 
The thing about our children that age out, um, we are grateful at Youth Villages. We do have a program that is called our Life Set Program. And the Life Set Program does work with children that have aged out of foster care to help them with their independent living skills, help them to live on their own, help them to continue their education as well. But the unfortunate thing about it, outside of our staff working directly with them, those children also do need additional support. So although they are aging out, we also look for foster parents that are willing to be a continued support for our teenagers when they are aging out of custody so that they can have housing, so they can have stability. Because just like anyone else, if you are worried about your housing, your stability, your education, your employment every day, those are additional stressors. And so we want our young people to be able to have additional support. And so we do call on foster parents that are also able to help us with those children that are turning 18 and aging out. Let's dive into foster parenting and what are the qualities that Youth Villages looks for in a foster parent? Um, We definitely want someone that is coming to parents. And and I say coming to parent because we have to understand that these children are coming from environments where sometimes they have had to be the parent. They have had to take lead with their siblings, and so they have not had that structure, as well as um, foster parents that are open-minded, that are also able to be an additional support in terms of the family. So a lot of our birth families, they have lacked additional support and resources. They don't have just ongoing support you know, themselves. And when I say ongoing support, I'm just thinking just in terms of if their child was to get in trouble at school, they may not have anyone to call on to help them if if they're at work, they have to leave work. So just helping those birth families, also encouraging those birth families. It can be very intimidating to have your child live with someone else. And then you you may think that, well, we don't think that you're good, but that's not the truth. We do think that these birth families are good. And so we want foster parents that are going to be open-minded, foster parents that are going to be supportive, foster parents that are going to parent, and foster parents that are truly truly going to help raise our children. And I say our children because I do believe that as, as a society, we are responsible for our children. Are there different kinds of foster care? There are different kinds of foster care. Foster care, which in terms of children are removed from their birth family. So whether they're removed from the mother, father, aunties, or uncles, they're removed from their birth family, and they come to live with a family in foster care, which is a perfect stranger, actually. That is one way of traditional foster care. And then we also have what we call kinship placement. Kinship placement foster care is when a child is able to live with a relative. And so they are still considered um, a child that is in state's custody, but they are able to live with a relative. And if at all possible, we do like to work with the Department of Children's Services to make that happen first, because we do believe that children are best raised by their families. Well, I tell you, I was reading a story, and this uh, Yolanda Dillard must be like the the super (laughs) Superhero of foster parenting. She's been fostering for 27 years. She was 34 when she started foster parenting. She's now 61. Her first placement was through Youth Villages. She's been a foster mom to nearly 70 children. She has, and she actually adopted one child um, through Youth Villages as well. So she is an adoptive parent and a foster parent of 27 years. Um, Ms. Dillard plays a very, very active role. in fostering and with the organization, um, as it relates to fostering, it's truly her gift. Yeah. She has a way of working with children, bringing them in her home, making them feel comfortable. But she's also what I like to call an old school stern parent. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know her expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what is expected. You're aware, you know you're aware, aware of your chores. You're aware of your responsibilities. She's very active in the school setting. So she has a really, really strong homeschool link. Um, And here recently, um, in the last six months, she has joined our foster parent council in Memphis. And that is a group of foster parents that are helping to bridge the gap and bring in more resources to help recruit foster parents for us.
Well, Keisha, I'm sure those who are listening right now that might be thinking, you know, kind of considering Mike would like to be a foster parent, but I'm not sure that I can handle the responsibility. You look at somebody like Yolanda Dillard and see what she's doing, but it didn't start off that way with Yolanda. You know, I mean, she's had some challenges too. Correct. We don't want to paint a picture like everything is like roses, you know? Correct. We're Correct. talking about life. We're talking about family and whether any family, you know, has issues and there's things you you deal with and you, you learn each other and you're growing. But what about that person listening right now saying, you know, I thought about it, but, you know, I'm not sure I could take on that responsibility. Well, one thing that is definitely unique to foster care specifically um, and the services that we provide at Youth Village is that we are also an organization that come from a collective standpoint of support. And so what I mean by that is we not only train our foster parents to become foster parents, we also work with them to help them understand how to implement appropriate behavior management, how to handle the children's behaviors, how to implement coping skills. And so we also work directly with our foster parents to help give them those skills because we do understand that it can also be scary for a foster parent. These are children that they've never worked with. Yeah. Some of our foster parents have never parented themselves. Right, so right. they have concerns about that. But collectively, our team and our staff come together to help provide those parents with those skills. Okay, what, what about things like cooking? I'm not really that much of a cook. Do you give assistance and help people doing something as basic as knowing how to cook a meal? So one thing that we have done, particularly with our foster parents, um, it's funny that you say that because we have had a foster parent that says, hey, I'm not, I'm not a cook. <laughs> it's only been me for so many years. I yeah. like to eat out a lot. Yeah. And so what we did... Um, with their first placement, we actually tried to identify what were some things that that child also liked. Right. That child happened to also be a teenager. Yeah. And so we implemented in their treatment. We implemented the independent living. Right. And so it was collective, um, a time that the child and the foster parent could spend together. And so that actually worked out well. Um, from that nature, we also have worked with parents in terms of resources, yeah. resources that we um, that our counselors find in the city that are supportive to those foster parents um, as far as cooking classes. And we also encourage the foster parents with just simple recipes that even if you're not a cook, you cannot mess them up at all. Well, you know, I was thinking, too, something that basic of cooking, not just for the parent, but you could use that to include as a teaching time for that Easily. foster child. You can both learn to cook together. Yes. And we like to all we, we like to use all of those for independent living because the reality of it is whether these children go back home or unfortunately these children age out of foster care, they need the independent living skills because they are, they are going to be young adults on their own at some point. How do you consider if I have adequate enough living space? I know that's important. Okay. And also renter's insurance or homeowner's insurance. Those are basic things you need to have. Yes, I'm definitely glad that you brought that up. Um, so just in terms, those are all things that follow up under the requirements to be become a foster parent. Um, and so with us at Youth Villages, you do have to be 25 years or older to become a foster parent. You do have to be able to pass a criminal background check. Um, you do have to have a an active driver's license and drive. Um, in your home, as you brought up spacing, spacing is always number one. It, it's always the first question everyone asks us. So what we consider for spacing is what is it that you are interested in fostering? So if a foster parent comes to us and say, well, we're interested in fostering two young ladies. Well, that those two young ladies could share a room and they could have bunk beds or they could have twin beds. Or they may say, hey, I want to foster a sibling group. Well, you may have one room available with two beds, but then you would also need an additional room available with a bed as well. And then we look for appropriate closet space and dressers as well, you know, for right. our children to be able to put their belongings up. Um, we do require that our foster parents have homeowners or renters insurance. And we do require that they have auto insurance as well. Um, and then just they have to be able to show income-wise that they are able to adequately currently provide for their current family 
while coming on to take on another child. Well, things like that furniture you're mentioning. So if there was a bed or a dresser that was missing, do you help them try to find those items? Or are they responsible to find those and make sure that they're in place before, obviously, the child comes into their home? So that, that, that's a good question also. That comes up a lot. So what, through the home study process, the home study process is what our trainer recruiter staff completes following the training to become a foster parent. And with that, they do a complete walkthrough of the foster parent's home. They look at the bedding space. They look at the bedrooms. And at that time, they will give the foster parents recommendations. Well, hey, this room looks like, hey, you know, you can put a twin bed in there or you can put bunk beds. And we will let them know places that they could go to get those. We have also had situations where our foster parent has been certified, let's say maybe for two children, and they did have maybe like a home office. And over time, they were willing to convert that home office. And then we received a referral for a sibling group of three. We would go out at that moment to purchase a bed because at that time, when the Department of Children's Services is referring to us, they are actually needing a bed that night for that child. Exactly. And so we do not want the children to sleep in the building at all. And so if we have to, we have gone out to purchase a bed or a crib to make sure that we are able to place those children. Lakeisha just popped in my head thinking about smoke detectors. We Uh, require smoke detectors. We require carbon monoxide detectors. And we also require that if you have a two-story home or if you live in a two-story apartment, that you do have a drop ladder that could be able to be accessible in in the case that there was a fire. You mentioned group siblings a moment ago and especially i want you to kind of address if you will teenage group siblings yes and the need there for foster care there is a gigantic need for families that can take on sibling groups of three or more as well as teenagers and not just in memphis but in all of tennessee right now the average referral that we are receiving in west tennessee for a sibling group is a sibling group of four At all possible, we do like to be able to keep those siblings together. We do understand that sometimes our foster parents have already taken on a child or two, so they don't necessarily have the space. But we do ask those that are interested in fostering to truly consider taking on sibling groups. If we are in a situation where we are not able to place the children in one home together, we do try to place them in the same zip code so then the foster parents can help us maintain the visitation. We talked about training. I know you feel it is very thorough, this in-depth training you provide. So once somebody is proven that they qualify and you want to start the training, uh, how long is the training? So the current training is seven weeks. Um, The training is called um, 10 Key which is Tennessee knowledge to empower you in order to work with foster parents. We are contracted with the state, so that is a Tennessee training. Um, In addition at Youth Villages, we also do additional training, behavior management, and policies and procedures. And so they go through the series of the training classes. We offer our training classes on Tuesday and Thursdays at 6 p.m. So for those that work, they can come on Tuesday and Thursday and receive the trainings for that week. And then we also offer a Saturday class that starts at 10 a.m. that would be the Tuesday-Thursday class, and they they can get it all at one time. So we like to be flexible to understand people's work schedule and provide non-traditional hours for the training. So through that time, the parents are going through the training class. They're building a relationship with their trainer recruiter. They're being able to understand not only how to work with our children, but also how to communicate with their trainer recruiter, what type of child they think that they can work with. And And you spoke of teenagers earlier. We definitely like to hear from our parents, you know, not only are they interested in working with teenagers, but what scares them in working with teenagers, because sometimes it is just a lack of knowledge. 
and just the fact that they are teenagers. And so through that process of those seven weeks, our trainer recruiting staff work very, very closely with those families to really work through not just the training portion, but just really understanding where are they at with becoming a foster parent? Because, again, we understand that it can be scary for them. And we don't expect them just to leave and just say, okay, I got this. So I've gone through the seven weeks of training how soon are you going to start dropping children at my front door? So the parents finish up the training. Um, we also do a portion, what we call a clinical interview. And that is where someone from the clinical team comes out to their home and meet the family as well to just provide a clinical assessment of their strengths and also to address any of their additional concerns. From there, we collect all of their documentation and we put it in this cute little file. And we send it off to Nashville because we are contracted with the Department of Children's Services. Nashville does have to lay eyes on our paperwork as well. And so usually the turnaround time um, from completing the seven-week course and gathering all the paperwork could be about – 10 to 12 weeks. Okay. Just in, in, and I say 10 to 12 weeks because for everyone it can be different. If you're a single family, you're, you're just one individual, that's a little less paperwork than a family, a two-parent home, and then they also have kids, you know, just in terms of paperwork. Um, and then honestly speaking, from the time that you get your approval, between those 10 to 12 weeks, you could get a placement sometimes as early as that same day. Really? Or as late as two or three weeks later. Because okay. we're, at Youth Villages, our placement team does work Sunday to Sunday. 24 hours around the clock. And so we are getting referrals ongoing. And so it's just a matter of the referral that we received, the type of child that you are interested in working with, and then us just working with you based on your strength. Things like medical issues that come up, a child gets sick. Are you required to take that child to your doctor or find a doctor? Or do you have doctors that are through youth villages? That is an awesome question. So our children um, do receive the 10-care insurance. They are required to have six-month dental, and they are required to have an annual physical. Their annual physical does have to be held at a Tennessee Health Department. Any follow-ups or any other ongoing needs, a minor cold or what have you, foster parents are free to take them to their family doctor. Okay. Same thing with dental. It's just a matter of their right. annual physical has to be held at a Tennessee Health Department. An issue arises at 3 o'clock in the morning. What do I do? If an issue arises at 3 o'clock in the morning, let's just take medical for an example. If there's a medical issue that arises at 3 o'clock in the morning, we will want a parent to do just like, like they will with their children. Get their insurance card, get their documents, and head to the nearest emergency room, and then contact on call. If it's something that's not necessarily medical, but we may be thinking more of a behavioral or a crisis situation, we do have an on-call process. We do provide 24-hour services at youth villages. And that foster parent would contact on call. And as needed, we would also send the staff out to their home even at 3 o'clock in the morning. Lakeisha, I know in every situation for these children, change has been forced upon the child. That doesn't really encourage a lot of trust in them. How does a foster parent help build that trust factor in these children? Foster parents help to build the trust, honestly, just being transparent on the front end. Just really understanding that these kids have gone through trauma. And so although you may be an old school parent like Ms. Dillard, Ms. Dillard has a way of letting them get settled in her home that first night, that first day. And then she comes in collectively and she has like a family meeting to just kind of talk about the expectations, what they want. So that initial meeting lets those kids know Okay, this is my time. I'm still getting to know you, but this is my time to say my expectations and what I like as well. Also, just building that trust through little things, you know, 
asking them, what would you like for dinner tonight? Not just assuming that they want McDonald's or not just assuming that they want a home-cooked meal. Getting their yeah. input on activities they want to be involved in. Because sometimes as adults, we automatically just say, oh, well, they're kids. You know, they need a balance meal and, and they need to be in soccer and basketball and ballet. But really, really asking them, really getting their input. I think most importantly, consistency with boundaries. Definitely. Okay. We talked about some of these discipline issues that children might have, uh, multiple school suspensions, attitude, Mm -hmm. anger, PTSD triggers from past abuse that causes them to act out with these negative behaviors. How does the foster parent deal with these issues? One thing that we do while we're working through our treatment goals and interventions with our children, we make sure to include those. And when including those, we make sure that the foster parent is, one, aware of what we are addressing, and two, if we're including them in the intervention, what part of the intervention is the foster parent comfortable with. Right. And when we're looking at the school setting, we work with our staff and with our foster parents to just learn how to advocate for our children. Um, we definitely understand that educators are tired too. They're in classrooms with 25, 30 kids. And so we definitely want to come from a collective standpoint and work together as a team. And so we call mm-hmm. on school meetings as needed. We don't leave those foster parents just hanging right. to just run to the school every single day, every single month. You know, we support those foster parents through our school meetings. And because our children are in state's custody, we do have the um, educational specialist through the Department of Children's Services that also help to provide that support um, in training. And so we we even collectively do meetings first. If we're preparing for a school meeting, if we're preparing to address a behavioral issue, we will meet with the foster parent first. Hey, let me hear your concerns. Let me hear what your concerns are, not only about the child's behavior, but what has currently been going on in the school setting. And we like to make a plan to go in to work collectively together. Are there times that you might have to remove the child from that foster home to deal with a certain issue like this? How does that work? Unfortunately, we have had those situations come up, um, and they have been unique situations. Um, They have been um, situations where the foster parents have definitely tried to work through things, but then the child may end up in an alternative school setting where the foster parent is not able to get them there. And so we try to work to see how can we support them? How can we support the foster parent to be able to get the child to maintain them in the school? Mm -hmm. But then sometimes we haven't been able to, and so we will unfortunately, temporarily move that child, but keep that foster parent as a support. And we always remove a child as a last resort because we don't want to continue the cycle of setting that child back. Are foster parents receiving some type of income per child or just based on the expenses that they put in that they get reimbursement? How does financial work in I'm glad you brought that up also. Um, That is a question that a lot of people ask. Coming to foster, there's definitely not income associated with the fostering. There is a reimbursement for items and needs that the foster parents may pay out monthly. They may not necessarily cover everything that comes up, um, but we definitely encourage the foster parents, you know, to ensure that they're purchasing school items, school clothes, their ongoing needs and necessities. Also using that reimbursement to have our children um, active in pro-socials, using that reimbursement to have our children active in summer activities. Um, So there is a reimbursement that does does come associated to help the foster parents to be able to provide the support for the children. Well, I think that's important, too, to parent to know that this is a responsibility. There's some sacrifices. That, that, there are definitely make. sacrifices to be made. And it's not that I don't think that people don't realize that. I think, again, it's just a matter of being knowledgeable of what is actually going into Mm -hmm. being a foster parent versus being a mentor or being a support. And so definitely when you come to being a foster parent, again, like I said earlier, we are definitely looking for you to parent. And just like any parent, there are definitely sacrifices that come with that. Exactly. Well, you mentioned, Lakeisha, we talked about Yolanda being a foster parent who also became an adoptive parent. So that's pretty exciting. What's the process? 
how long would somebody have to be a foster parent and they decided, hey, we're bonding so well, I want this child to have my name. I want this to be my child, to be an adoptive parent. So in order to become an adoptive parent, the training is no different. So once you have actually become certified, you are able to just foster. And if you change your mind and say you want to become an adoptive parent, you are then now able to adopt. There's not any additional youth diligence training that you would have to attend. Um, the children would have to be free and clear for adoption. That is a term that we use in the state of Tennessee. And what that term means is that that child's parents' rights have been terminated. And that child will not be returning home to their birth family, unfortunately. Um, and I say unfortunately just because our first goal is to reunite yes. and then if we can't we will move towards adoption so once that child is free and clear for adoption that child has to be placed in your home for six months and at six months we can move forward with adoption as we start to wrap up our program here Lakeisha, maybe a story where you have seen a child leave their birth family, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe because of financial reasons, maybe because of drugs or whatever reason that they've been pulled out of the home and have gone into foster care, and you've worked toward reuniting the family. You just had a great success story there. One family that definitely comes to mind for adoption is the Rogers family. They were retired. Um, Mr. Rogers still sometimes worked part-time. All of their children were adults, and they were very active in their church, and they just wanted to give back. So they initially came to foster and to solely foster only. Wait a minute. The Rogers, they've been here on this show. They were they were right here. Yes, yes I remember them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, they literally came just to foster, and I never forget it. I I took the car seat, the booster seat, out of my car, and we left a meeting. And I was like, "She's like, I don't got a car seat." And I was like, "I got one for you." Um, so I never forget that. The Rogers were very, very supportive. I mean, they had those children available for family sessions. The Rogers family were like, you said retired. They were like in their 60s, I believe. Li- literally, literally. And, and over they took, time. Well, the siblings was it five? Sibling groups of four. Four. It was a sibling group of That's four. That's right. Two and girls, over, two boys. Yep. And over right. time, it yeah. just never worked out. It just, I mean, the, the Rogers were very supportive of the birth family. And just for various reasons, it did not just work out for the birth family. And then the, the time came and we asked the Rogers, okay, like they've been here now. We don't want to move them. Precious family, when they came up to the studio to do the radio show, the children were in our conference room. The most polite, the most respectful, the most incredible children. To see the bond and the love and how the kids were calling daddy and mom, oh my goodness, it was so beautiful. That is definitely an adoptive story that um, comes to my mind. I mean, they they are a split image of I came to foster, I was older, all of my children are adults, and now I have adopted. As we say this final thing before we say totally goodbye, uh, what do you feel are some of the, the best rewards of being a foster parent? I think some of the best rewards of being a foster parent is that you are able to see the footprint that you have put on someone else's life that you did not birth yourself. You said it right there. That's beautiful. How do we contact Youth Villages? Check us out on our website, youthvillages.org. Our state number is 1-888-MY-YV-KID, which is one 888 699-8543 and that is collected for the entire state and then locally in Memphis you can also contact us at 901-252-7939 Lakeisha Gomez thank you for sharing your heart with Youth Villages that's all the time friends we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint thanks for stopping by I'm Byron Tyler we'll talk to you next time bye bye